everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. As always, so happy to have you here. We are talking about a topic that I know many of you are really going to connect with, which is imposter syndrome. What is it and how do we deal with it? Before we get to imposter syndrome and our wonderful guest for today, many of you have heard me talk about or have seen the emails about Be the Queen, which we are going to be starting officially on Tuesday the 28th. This is a program for women who are calling in epic love, first and foremost, self-love, an amazing partnership and love within themselves, and second, their love of their life, the love that lasts, the love that stops all the bad patterns and the breakups and the loneliness and all the things. I had a bonus Q&A call last week for people that joined the masterclass that we did that had extra questions. And I got really emotional on that call unexpectedly because I felt back into what it felt like for me when I was single and really longing for relationship. And most of the time, especially towards the end when I really practice what I teach and be the queen, I managed the longing without suffering. But there were so many moments, be it holidays or Sunday when I just wanted somebody to go to brunch with or when something really amazing happened and I had no one to call or when something really awful happened and there was no one there whose arms I could fall into. And it just brought back a lot of emotion. And so if you are right now going through a breakup or you've been single for a while, you really just want that epic love and you want to be in a really loving container. I encourage you to join us. It's so worth the investment, I promise you. And P.S., we have payment plans and scholarships available. Also this year, because I've been so focused on Athena and being a mom, this year it's going to be a much smaller group, which means if you join, you are going to get more one-on-one coaching from Steph and I. Also, if you join, you get a free ticket to an exclusive retreat just for graduates of Be the Queen. That's going to be October 12th in San Diego. And just that alone is worth the program. The Be the Queen one-day retreat happens to be the Thursday before my women's retreat. So if you're thinking of coming to the women's retreat, you could do a four-day retreat, which would be so cool. Many of our Be the Queen graduates have done that. But there's so much value in this. You are so held. Steph teaches it with me. So you really get to experience that safe masculinity. This is one of our favorite programs to teach. I can't say enough about it. I mean, in our last survey of graduates, over 50% of women who have graduated from Be The Queen are with their person. That's really good odds. And those that aren't are enjoying dating more and their relationship with themselves more. So you can find all the info at christinehauser.com slash be the queen. You can email jill at christinehauser.com with any questions. If you're listening to this after February 28th, that's totally fine. You can catch up on the recordings. It doesn't matter where in the world you are because we alternate times. So if you're in Europe, there's times where it's going to be in the U.S. morning and you can be there. If you're in Australia, New Zealand, that side of the world, we do it sometimes U.S. nights. So it's more your late morning afternoon. So we make it work. Again, christinehauser.com slash be the queen, or you can email jill at christinehauser.com. All right, let me tell you about my guest for today. She is Melody Wilding, and she's going to talk to us about imposter syndrome. She is the best-selling author of Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking, and Channel Your Emotions for Success. She was named Business Insider's Most Innovative Coaches for her groundbreaking work on sensitive strivers. I think a lot of you 
can raise your hand to that. You've never heard the term, but you're like, oh my gosh, that's me. I'm ambitious, but I'm also sensitive. She has CEO clients, managers at top fortune 500 companies. She is the real deal. She's been featured in the New York times, wall street journal, and is a contributor to Harvard business review, fast company, psychology day and Forbes. She's a licensed social worker with a master's from Columbia. And she also just has a beautiful heart. I think you're really going to enjoy my interview with Melody Wilding. And I'd like to thank my sponsor for the show, which is Organifi, my favorite place to get all kinds of yummy, nutritious things. Today, I want to talk to you about their Organifi Gold. This is an alternative to melatonin. Maybe some of you take melatonin to relax, to go to sleep, which is great. But how about something that's super delicious? Organifi Gold is this awesome turmeric powder mixed with all kinds of other yummy stuff, different mushrooms and adaptogens and all kinds of yummy stuff that you can put in your almond milk, your coconut milk, your regular milk, whatever, heat it up and just savor it. It's so, so yummy and it really can help you with sleep struggles. It's a great melatonin alternative. Melatonin has a half-life. So for some of us, it can leave us feeling a little groggy the next day. So Instead, if you're looking for something to just relax you, help you with sleep, help a little inflammation, and that just tastes really, really good, go to Organifi.com slash over it, get your turmeric gold. Well, they don't call it turmeric gold. They call it just gold. <laughs> I call it turmeric gold because it has so much yummy turmeric in it. And add it to your cart and you get 20% off as my listener using the promo code over it. Melody, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. I'm very excited to talk about this topic because it is one that comes up so, so much on the show. It's a big one that comes up in Elementum, the coaching institute that I co-run um, with other amazing master coaches because we're, we're training coaches and they often have a, who am I to, there's so many coaches, all that kind of thing. And, and it's another thing, it's a word, it's words. A phrase that's thrown around a lot. You know, my imposter syndrome's gone, gotten in the way, or I think I have imposter syndrome. But I want to make sure we really understand what we're saying when we say imposter syndrome. So, can you define what imposter syndrome is exactly? Yeah, and you're right. I think it's it's entered the consciousness recently, and it does get appropriated for things it's not necessarily meant to label. So, imposter syndrome refers to feeling like an intellectual fraud. So basically you feel like you are not as competent or intelligent as you really are. And what imposter syndrome boils down to is that there's a disconnect between your self-perception, how you see yourself, your intelligence, your capabilities, and what's true and what's fact. So people with imposter syndrome are usually very high achieving. They have multiple degrees. They have good jobs. They may get positive performance reviews and multiple promotions, yet they feel that at any moment someone is going to rip the mask off and say, we figured out you just got here by luck and timing and that you're actually not suited to do this job. Where does it come from? It's a great question. And of course, as with most things, it's a little bit of nature. It's a little bit of nurture. So on the nature side, you know, there are certain people we're, we're born with personality types and some of us are more predisposed to imposter syndrome because of the way we're wired. 
either because we're more what's called neurotic in sort of personality terms or we're more sensitive. And this is particularly what my work looks at is the intersection between achievement and high sensitivity. So for those of us that consider ourselves more sensitive, we are literally wired. Our brains process other people's behaviors as well as our own thoughts and emotions more deeply. So we're more attuned to the environment, but at the same time, that can make us overly self-conscious. It can lead us to overthink and compare ourselves to other people at a higher degree. So there, you have the nature side. You also have the nurture side. And I know you talk a lot about family of origin and parenting. And so you might have grown up in a family where you were considered the smart one or the good one. And that conditioning carries over into your adulthood where you feel expectations to live up into that label. And of course, you know, we, we can't, we can't not mention the impact of your environment. So if you are in a workplace that is highly competitive, where you have no mentors, where you are the only person that looks or thinks like you do, then of course you're going to feel a deeper feeling of, of being an outsider. Oh, the all outsider thing. <laughs> Do we ever grow out of that? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just such a thing. How do you think social media contributes to imposter syndrome? In huge ways. <laughs> I know. It's like, you know, I heard you take a breath. Like, when, where do I start with that one? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, I think social media is wonderful in so many ways because for so many of us, we can connect to people who are just like us. You know, I didn't realize I was highly sensitive until my mid twenties or so. And it was amazing to me when I went online and there were entire communities of thousands or millions of people who were also like me. But at the same time, social media is everyone's highlight reel and we're comparing our blooper reel to that. So, you know, for my myself, it's it's very easy to get sucked into LinkedIn or Instagram and everyone seems to be on covers of magazines and, you know, making millions of dollars. And it can really make you feel like, what's wrong with me? What am I doing wrong? Or everyone can seem so confident in their knowledge that you think I couldn't be as articulate as them. Or if I'm to put myself out there in a certain way, then I need to be the end all be all expert, which can just hold a lot of people back from ever getting started. Mm. That's the thing that I find really, really damaging about social media. Cause I think a lot of people would be a lot more confident doing what they want to do or putting themselves out there if they didn't have a gazillion people to compare themselves to. Comparison and imposter syndrome <laughs> exactly. to me go, go hand in hand. And if there's any wounding or trauma or I don't know anyone that escapes childhood, especially middle school, without feeling less than in some way. You know, it, somebody at some point is going to say something mean to you. Parent could tell you you're not good at something. And mm -hmm. I was coaching somebody on our live group coaching uh, last night. Well, not last night when this airs, but um, it was our January 10th group coaching call. And she really in her heart and soul wants to be a life coach. And she was working mm -hmm. with a business coach and the business coach basically said to her, stick to business because something like you don't have what it takes to be a life coach and you won't make money at it or something uh. like that. And just completely took the wind out of her sails. And mm -hmm. and I asked her, is that a pattern for you? People telling you you're not something or you can't do something. 
And her mm-hmm. eyes just flooded with tears. And since she was a child, certain parents or authority figures or whoever, she came in with a good idea and the wind just got taken out of her sails. And mm-hmm. so she, of course, feels imposter syndrome and she, of course, feels like she can't do it. And it, to me, it leads to people playing it really, really, really safe. And I'd love you to expand yes. on that, like how imposter syndrome really holds us back and, and keeps us in the safe mm-hmm. zone, but actually keeps us mm-hmm. out of our highest potential. Yeah. You know, there's actually five typical ways imposter syndrome tends to manifest. And I'd love to walk through them because I think it's very helpful to understand these so that you can identify when you're, when you're falling into these patterns. So first is perfectionism. And I know, (laughs) you know, a lot about that. This is one I'm guilty of as well, but that's putting those unreasonably high expectations on yourself, expecting yourself to get something right on the first try. And if you don't, if you're not a natural at it, then you're not cut out to do something or refining, polishing things over and over again so that they're just right. Procrastination is the second one. Mm -hmm. And yes, it can look like waiting to the last minute to finish something, but it's not because you're lazy. It's because you're fearful that if you do follow through and the project or whatever, the social media post, the blog post isn't good enough that that will reveal you are actually an imposter. And procrastination can also show up as diminishing yourself, rejection, rejecting praise, Mm. lying low, avoiding opportunities. So a lot of people actually under challenge themselves. They may stay in a job for longer than they need to when they're not growing or they're in a toxic situation because they're fearful of moving to something new and that would expose them. Mm. Third is comparison. We talked a little bit about that, thinking you're lower status than everybody else. You're uh, very sensitive to rejection and you obsess about your weaknesses. And a big one is overcompensation. That's the fourth one where we get more training, more certifications. We take on more than we can reasonably handle because we think that if we do more, then we will feel more valuable. And of course, it never works out that way. And then last is people pleasing, passively agreeing to what everyone else wants you to do, holding your own opinions back to keep the peace. And you do that because you don't feel, you don't feel confident in your own judgment and your own expertise. Mm. I'm sure my audience is like, none of those apply to me at all. (laughs) I I just, I know my (laughs) listeners and I know that so many of them are going, oh my gosh, I checked the box for all of those. I want to especially highlight the constant certification, the constant workshop. I can think of so many people that I've coached along the years or or so many people that are in my community that want to be coaches that want to get themselves out there. But it's just like, I need, I need this one more training or I need this one more workshop. I need this. And they, they stay in this comfort zone of gaining more knowledge versus actually mm-hmm. just putting themselves out there and trying. Why do you think that putting ourselves out there is so utterly terrifying? Mm. Judgment, <laughs> judgment from other people. You know, we're, we're worried that other people will cut us down. It's that fear of rejection. If I don't do well, then I, my survival feels threatened if I'm yeah. not good enough. And, you know, I think so many of us tie our ability to achieve to our self-worth 
And that if I'm not achieving and I'm not pleasing people and making others happy, well then what good am I? Right. Yeah. And often what judgment does is it just reinforces the self-doubt we have in our own head. And then we're like, oh, I was right. I was right that I am no good. Or I was right that I don't make any sense. Or I was right that I talk in circles. Or I was right that I'm not that smart. And we just take that judgment as reinforcement and we collect evidence for all the reasons why we should Absolutely. We should just hide again. We should just hide again. Yeah. Yes. So one of the things that, that – a term that you use that I love is sensitive striver. I can assume what that means, but I'd love you to expand on that. Yeah. So I was mentioning before that a lot of my work is looking at the intersection of high sensitivity and high achievement. And those are people I call sensitive strivers. So they are highly sensitive, meaning that they our nervous systems are more attuned and reactive to what's happening both within us, our own thoughts and emotions, and what's happening around us. And they're also high achieving. And that isn't necessarily to mean that they want to climb the ladder and be CEO, but rather that these are people that are very hungry for personal growth. They are always challenging themselves to be better and to, to grow and learn. And those two combinations, those two things coming together is incredibly powerful. I mean, these people make the best, most compassionate, effective, loyal, dedicated leaders. But at the same time, if we're not aware of these qualities or we don't know how to channel them correctly, it can lead to imposter syndrome, overthinking, people pleasing, perfectionism, all of those roadblocks that we were just talking about. Oh man, it just sounds exhausting sometimes, doesn't it? It's like, oh, I'll just stay small. So how do we, if yeah. we are a big feeler and if everything feels just like too much, but it's this conflict because we may also have a real desire and a real calling to create in the world and to, like I said before, put ourselves out there and to help. Mm. How do we deal with the part of us that just, it just feels like too much. It, it just feels like too much mm. to our nervous system. And so we often sacrifice yeah. um, our passion or we put it, put it aside or we delay it or whatever because we just can't seem to find a place inside ourselves where we can handle the intensity of it. Does that make sense? Mm. It does. It does. And, you know, I, I still <laughs> struggle with that sometimes. And, you know, I think the awareness of these qualities is the first step. Because for so long, I would beat myself up for feeling like I wasn't as capable or I couldn't handle as much as other people. But when I realized, oh, I'm, I'm just wired differently, that means I need to manage myself differently, taking off that layer of self-criticism allowed me to have so much more self-acceptance and self-compassion and just more objectively set up my environment manage my energy and my work day to work for me instead of just trying to pile more and more and more on expecting that if I just worked harder, I would become stronger. Right. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you find that people that struggle with imposter syndrome work harder because they're almost procrastinating the work that makes them more visible? I guess like spin their wheels more would be the best, yeah. that better question and just work, 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 work. But actually, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I find that 100%. Too. I say 
sensitive strivers law is overthinking expands to the time that you allow it. And so, yeah, I, I will, I was talking to a, a client maybe a week or so ago, and she was talking about how she would spend 10 hours on something that it was taking her colleagues an hour or two. Yeah. And it was, it was no better or no worse, but she was just hemming and hawing and spinning her wheels during that time because she was second guessing herself mm -hmm. at, at every turn. So how do we break out of that? What are some tangible things we can do to break out of the overthinking and the overanalyzing yes. and the over, you know, checking and rechecking and all that stuff? Well, one of my favorite strategies is to give that inner critic a name. And that may seem a little silly. That's actually Oh, no, I tell my audience that all the time. They know my inner critic's name is Candy. <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Mine's, mine is Bozo. So um, we, we have some interesting selections there. Um, but it, it, it works because you're psychologically distancing from yep. that voice, right? Yep. You're not identifying with it so deeply. You're able to see, oh, th this is just words and phrases going through my head. This is just an automatic script that happens when something stressful or something where I feel like I'm going to be judged comes up. This voice starts again with the same old, same old. And so just creating that little bit of distance gives you control. It gives you the opportunity to mindfully step back and think more consciously and intentionally about what do you want to think and what would your inner coach say to you? So I, I think that's a very powerful strategy. I, I love that one. With the overthinking, sometimes it doesn't feel like the inner critic though. Sometimes it just feels like, um, what we have to do to feel safe enough to to feel good enough, I guess, good enough and safe enough to submit the blog post or to write the post or whatever. So, I mean, do you recommend setting a timer for something? What, what can people do to just uh, stop working for 10 hours on something that they could have gotten done an hour, like nine hours ago? Yeah. 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 So very tangibly, you know, a rule I love is something called the 10, 10, 10 rule. And oftentimes when we're overthinking and we're trying to find safety in doing more, we think that's because by, by working on something longer, we'll prevent something bad from happening, right? We'll prevent someone's judgment or them being upset or what have you. So the 10, 10, 10 rule is asking yourself, will this matter 10 weeks, 10 months, or 10 years from now? And usually the answer is no. <laughs> Usually that, uh, you know, the, the couple phrases in the slide presentation that you're working on, uh, will not make a huge difference 10 weeks, 10 months, or 10 years from now. And it's really helpful to just put the situation in perspective and realize that it's probably not as big of a deal as you're making it. And that you can put good can be good enough. Sometimes I think we just need accountability partners and just a challenge to just do it. Um, do, do you find that that works yeah. with people that suffer, suffer from imposter syndrome is just to have someone that's like, just freaking do it. Just put it out there. <laughs> and you have to do it by this time. 100%. You were talking about, you know, setting a timer. So the power of positive constraints is huge. Whether that is, you know, giving yourself only um, half a day to, uh, to work on a project or 
having someone that you check in with, you know, having an appointment set with someone where I'm meeting my friend at this time in the afternoon. And I told her I would have this done by that point. That's shown to increase your follow through by up to 95%, which is wild. You may also, so for me in particular, I have to narrow down the number of places I allow myself to consult before I take action (laughs) because I will keep polling people. I will keep uh, asking my coaches and mentors and friends and colleagues, well, what do you think I should do? What's your perspective on this? And I have to limit myself to say, I'm only going to ask one or two people for their opinion. And then I just have to trust my own judgment and go. Hmm. Easier said than done, right, Melody? (laughs) Always. It's a practice. It is always a practice. It is a practice. So for someone right now that's really dealing with imposter syndrome and it's really getting in their way, you mentioned the inner critic. You mentioned kind of just just doing it. Um, But was there anything personally that helped you? Because you've written a book. You've put yourself out there. You do interviews. You've obviously, you know, gotten through it. What's been most helpful for you as a sensitive person, as someone that may overthink, as someone that may compare, what have been the most helpful strategies for you? A few. Starting before I feel 100% ready has been major for me. <laughs> if I waited till I felt 100% ready to write a book, I would not even have started on the proposal at this point. And just keeping that in mind that I don't, if I waited till I felt 100% ready, I would already be so far behind. So doing things scared (laughs) has helped me and writing specifically with writing, just getting down the awful first draft because my inner perfectionist try, my inner perfectionist has a standard that something needs to be publication ready (laughs) before I, as soon as it comes out of my mouth or, you know, typed out of my fingers. So that's been really helpful to just take that pressure off and allow it to be bad. And knowing that nobody needs to see this, this is where everything starts, but accepting that level of imperfection has, has been a big step Mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing I would also say broadening my definition of what qualifies as a win. So going back to that idea that on social media, everything is glamorized, right? Everyone's making a lot of money and getting nice houses and cars. And it it can be hard in in the day to day when you feel like you are just meeting obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And so for me, I've had to broaden my definition of what success is to be things that are actually building my character, things like pushing through fear, having a tough conversation with someone, setting a boundary, right? Uh, approaching a situation with more resilience with a different mindset than I might have before Mm. and valuing those things as when, even if they're not as tangible. What what do you think we get wrong about imposter syndrome? What do you, what do we confuse about it? I, I think people conflate imposter syndrome with just a normal adjustment to change because, you know, anyone, if you are embarking on a new business or a new role or even a new relationship, it is normal to feel scared and intimidated. 
and to wonder, can I really rise to this challenge? That's not necessarily imposter syndrome. That's just a normal human reaction to change and, you know, a normal human uncertainty. And I always tell people, if you didn't have that reaction, I would be a little worried <laughs> because it means either you're a psychopath or, you know, you waited too long to do something, mm. right? So having those feelings is completely normal. When they become chronic, especially in the face of evidence that says otherwise, evidence of people saying, hey, you're doing a good, great job, or you getting clients and, and traction in your business, that's when we know more for sure that it's imposter syndrome. Oh, yeah. I think too, one of the things that is so remarkable about imposter syndrome is that it seems like it's a necessary rite of passage that you have to go through if you're not an egomaniac who just is about yourself. You know, I think it's quite healthy to, how do I want to say this? Not to doubt ourselves, but to not go in thinking, oh my God, I have so much to contribute to the world and I'm so amazing and da, 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 because we don't want to be completely on the insecure self-doubt side, but we also don't want to be way over on, I'm amazing. I have something to say and everybody needs to hear it because I think humility makes us relatable as well. So for me, especially in, in coaching and, and being, having a public platform, it right, was a rite of passage to go through that, to question myself, to compare myself, to feel like I wanted to throw up because somebody wrote a nasty comment about something I wrote or something I contributed because it, it helped me really find my truth and find my voice mm -hmm. and go, you know what? I, I actually – you know, know what I'm here to offer and I know what I have to say. Mm. And going through the pains of pushing through that imposter syndrome was an important part of not letting my ego lead. Does this, is this mm -hmm. relatable to you at all? Yes. Yes. And there's what you're getting at is there's a big difference between healthy confidence and overconfidence, right? Healthy confidence is a both and. It's being secure in your judgments and your strengths and the value you bring to the table and being able to show humility, being able to admit your weaknesses. If someone is overconfident, they are overestimating their competence. And this is actually called the Dunning-Kruger effect. So it's basically the opposite of imposter syndrome. If you think of imposter syndrome on one side of a spectrum, those are people that are very competent but they lack confidence, Dunning-Kruger is on the other side, where these are people that are very confident, but they lack competence. So I think that's a very important call out because uh, many times I see people think that if they start believing in themselves, they're automatically going to become cocky and big-headed and conceited. And that's not true. It's, it's a both and. It's about finding that middle ground and a more self-compassionate approach. Mm. Oh, self-compassion. <laughs> it's such an important piece. It's such an important piece. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your work with high-level CEOs and, and super successful people because I think sometimes people think super successful people aren't like them 
And so somebody listening mm-hmm. may think, oh, I know this person that runs a company or that is super successful. They must have never dealt with imposter syndrome. Otherwise, they wouldn't be where they are. Can you give us a behind-the-scenes peek into some, what some of the cl- things that your clients deal with? It doesn't have to be related to imposter syndrome per se, but what are some behind-the-scenes things that really successful people struggle with that you wouldn't think that they did? Sure. And that's a common misperception, right? That everyone else has it all together and and you don't. And the truth is that many times the higher you rise, the more acute imposter syndrome can become because the pathway to success is not as linear. You know, when you're earlier on in your career, it's sort of, you do step A, you do step B, you do step C. But when you're in a higher level of leadership role, things are much more ambiguous. The stakes are much higher. And, and so that can lead to a lot of second guessing yourself just because there is no, there is no one right answer. And so for a lot of the high level leaders I work with, learning to retrust their intuition is, is a huge area we need to work on because for so many of them, that muscle has just atrophied over time because they have looked outward for for advice and guidance and lost that sense of how to turn inward. And when you get later on in your career, that's a very important source of data where you have to start combining the very logical data-driven side with the more emotional input. So that's often a big area we have to work on. Anything else? This is so interesting. I feel like you're giving us like the backs, you know, yeah. the backstage pass <laughs> to super successful people. Yeah. Turning off from work at the end of the day. Mm. I, I would say in in the last six months, that one has become by and far the biggest challenges that I see some of the highest level leaders dealing with. That at the end of the day, they are, they aren't able to detach from work. They're not able to turn their mind off at the end of the day. And, you know, many times that comes down to setting internal boundaries, right? Yes. Boundaries around how you manage your time and, you know, getting up from your desk at 6 PM and what have you, but internal boundaries around how, how much do you allow work and your professional life to take up your psyche? Right. And, and that's more abstract. That's a huge one. I learned that early. Thank goodness. Um, and I really can't turn off my work brain. I haven't figured out how to turn off my mom brain, but (laughs) (laughs) that's what keeps me up at night these days. Like I mentioned, the people I'm working with are very compassionate. They're very sensitive, empathetic leaders. Again, very good thing. But at the same time, they have a lot of trouble with conflict. And, you know, when you're in higher level leadership positions, learning to negotiate and advocate for yourself and for your team, uh, you have a lot of different personalities you need to deal with. Again, the, the stakes are higher. And these are people that, you know, there's a phrase, especially in our industry, Christine, new level, new devil. And many times I find that it's new level, same devil in a different form that their people-pleasing tendencies show up in uh, having difficulty giving feedback to their team members because they don't want to upset them or not wanting to delegate because they're very protective of other people's times. And they think, well, if I was really good at my job, I would just figure out how to do this all myself. 
And so, you know, sometimes our challenges morph and take on a different form if we, if we don't address them. Yeah. The thing I've learned too about successful people, and I learned this when I was working in Hollywood and I saw these super successful, rich, famous people, miserable and terribly insecure. And I learned pretty young that oftentimes what makes people successful is their insecurity. But the problem is the success is never enough. Mm -hmm. So how do you think dealing with imposter syndrome and dealing with our insecurity actually before we reach a level of success change or visibility changes our relationship to that success? Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you what I've seen firsthand from my clients is that they say at first, they feel like they're on a roller coaster that every, when things go well, they're up They're The highs are high, but the lows, one little setback, one minor piece of feedback that sticks with them for days or weeks will just derail them. And when you actually work on your imposter syndrome, you're much more resilient. You're able to be much more level and not have that roller coaster, those high highs and low lows. And you're so much more able to detach from situations in a healthy way and not emotionally reactive to every little slight. Yeah. Cause there, there's going to be that. And when we're emotionally reactive to things, um, it really impacts our ability to respond in the most authentic and aligned way. Because we're, we're usually coming from our survival brain and not our intuition and our intellect. And oftentimes we're responding like a 12-year-old or an 8-year-old or a 20-year-old or an 18-year-old yes. versus the mm-hmm. embodied 40-year-old that we are, however old we are. Yeah. Oh, well, this has been so helpful. I, I love the work that you're doing. I think it's so – not I think. I know it's it's so necessary. You also have a book that recently came out called Trust Yourself, Stop Overthinking, Christine Hassler, and Channel Your Emotions for Success at Work. I feel like you wrote the stop overthinking part for me. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Of course. So truthfully, I wrote it for me (laughs) because this was the book I needed as someone who was a sensitive striver trying to navigate my career while trying to find myself and trust myself in the process. And so it's really my 10 years of coaching, my favorite tools and strategies boil down into a roadmap to really help sensitive strivers become more aware, build self-confidence and really take ownership of their of their voice. And where can people find that book? And are you taking clients right now? Where can people connect with you? Tell us all the things. Thank you. You can find the book anywhere books are sold, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it just came out in paperback actually yesterday. And so it, w- it should be available in paperback. And you can connect with me on my website, melodywilding.com. You can find out more about my coaching programs there. I do group coaching and one-on-one coaching Um, and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm very active there. I have LinkedIn learning courses that you can get started on. So plenty of resources for anyone interested in diving in. Yeah. And, and to everyone, you know, know that imposter syndrome is just one of the things that gets in the way of your authentic expression. And for whatever reason, our authentic expression in the world can feel really, really scary and can feel so much more safe to put the masks on and to people please and to do things the right way or to to play small. 
there's just so many reasons why authentic self-expression is, is terrifying. You know, we got rejected as a kid. We got our light dimmed as a kid. Who knows if there's past life stuff, there's many variables that, that play into it. But as Melody has talked about, and as I've experienced, it is something that we can overcome and we can't allow it to hold us back because I know so many beautifully sensitive people who have such a bright light and so many amazing things to share and their stories never told because imposter syndrome gets in the way. So it's such an important thing that, that we, we, we talk about and then we overcome. So thank you, Melody, for your work on this. Thank you for having me. 